Hi everyone, this is Joseph Franklin at New Song Church in New Bern, North Carolina. I'm glad you're tuning in to hear the third week of the sermon series on Revelation, God's Promises Fulfilled. We're uh, continuing this series uh, to, to dive into Revelation and try to debunk some of the uh, mysteries or even some of the teachings that aren't quite uh, lining up with Scripture, lining up with what's really being said in the book. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. Uh, we we began these series by sharing first couple in the first chapter uh, the fact that God is with us no matter what. He is he established or John establishes this in the beginning. It says that even though it, in this the first few verses of of this uh, of chapter one. John shares that even though the world may be crashing down around, even though it seems like all is lost, that God is in control, God is with us. And uh, we talked a little bit about numbers, how important numbers are in Revelation and understanding what they mean. Uh, Seven being perfection, three being number that, that, uh, well, seven also being uh, connected with wholeness and completeness, Uh, three being something that's usually connecting with the spiritual realm and also with uh, tr- the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we also, uh, in the first chapter, talked a little bit about how Jesus in this the final part of that chapter, being among the seven lampstands, uh, is symbolic of Jesus being among the, uh, uh, around us, uh, well, within, within the church. He's standing among the seven lampstands of the churches who represent the whole church, seven being completeness. And those seven lampstands also representing God's light, Jesus being the light of the world amongst the churches. He is the light that gives the light to the churches, in other words, saying that we are never alone. Also, the church, even in the last part of it, it shares that each church was given an angel. That's pretty amazing to me that churches are, or congregations, so to speak, of churches are given angels to protect them and guide them. Uh, God cares for us that much that angels are sent to protect con- congregations. So we, as we continue these, this message series, we uh, dive into this, these messages to the churches. And I think this is probably some of the most potent and also real words that can be said to the church even today of what's going on. And these churches, as we shared last week, are, are real churches. They are not some type of some type of uh, year system that are that are trying to chart when the years are. This is these churches represent real churches. And if you look on the map, it would actually be a perfect circle. <laughs> you would start with one and go all the way around to meet the others down the Romans Road. So as we look at these churches, we look at this first message to the church in Ephesus, and and John writes to this church in Ephesus. Uh, He says, To the church in Ephesus, these words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deed. I know you work hard and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have, the, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. However, 
whoever has ear has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. This is the word of God for us, people of God, and thanks be to God. So Ephesus is the central hub for a lot of different things. It's a there's some trade going on in the area. There's a lot of trade, uh, but Ephesus is also known for the spiritual areas of all sorts of different cults and all sorts of religions. Uh, one of the most, um, I guess, largest things that's representing things uh, representing religion in the world was this temple called T- the Temple of Diana. Uh, it's the seventh wonder of the world, and it's architectural marvel. Uh, th- th- this was kind of representative of what the type of spirituality was in the area. Uh, there was definitely a lot of competition if you were looking at a smorgasbord of religions. And the Christian faith was established in this, the middle of this uh, smorgasbord of religions uh, during the 60s in this area. And Paul spent three years during his third journey there. Uh, Acts chapter 20 uh, verse 31 shares a little bit about this. And uh, one of the results of his preaching was a reduction in the sale of silver souvenirs to the temple of Diana. And that's found in Acts chapter 19 verses 21 through 41. On a subsequent visit, Paul took leave of the elders of the church at Ephesus. He warned them with, the te- with tears in his eyes as he shares that they were, for, they were going to have a time of trouble. He says, I know after I've gone, savage wolves will come among you, uh, not sparing the flock. Even some of you, your own group, will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Uh, it's Acts chapter 20, verses 30, uh, 29 through 30. So in a way, John, the revelator, writes a second generation writes to a second generation of Christians after Paul. What Paul has foreseen in the '60s has now occurred. False leaders have risen and are trying to lead the church astray. However, the church endures. Uh, Revelation two two says, "I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance." I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are, and are not, and have, you have found them false. You have prepared, you have persevered, and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. So this church, the, the, this church was written about several, in several letters, and how they, this church in Ephesus, and how they would know if people were false teachers or not. They actually, they tested every leader that came before them. They were known in several of the early church fathers wrote about them. They were they shared that the, they were, there was no way you would stand before them if you had any type of false teaching. A person would be kicked out quickly if they were suspected of anything against Christian teachings. So these are words of commendation. For many people in the young Christian church uh, who would be here in this letter, they would be patting themselves on the back. I mean, good for me. Yay me. But there's always the but that happens. Then... John says something to him. He says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Your first love, in other words. Remember, this is a hub of many religions, but especially the goddess Diana. So the church began doing what it thought it needed to do to be a better church. The Ephesians made a good start. They had weeded out those who were spreading ideas and that did not ruin true and according to this faith that they had been passed down through the disciples and the apostles. But the weeding out of this process took its toll on them. I mean, they had turned a religion of, of 
warmth and love and mercy into something that had kind of grown cold. Their love had grown cold. Uh, love for God had been replaced for like almost a modern day witch hunt. And uh, Christ's new covenant had become distorted and the people were beginning to be suspicious of absolutely everyone. I don't know how you could, I don't know if you could imagine yourself being in those times where looking around, you didn't know if somebody was talking about you or if you were worried about if you were going to say something wrong, if it was going to be something that would cause you to be thrown out of the church. There's places like that even today, unfortunately, where people forget their first love and are suspect of others or suspecting others, rather, uh, that it causes them to forget about who God really is in their life. The people of the church forgot their love of God. They forgot about God's grace toward them and they should, and that they should extend this God's grace towards other people. Second, the love that they used to have for other believers was replaced by suspicions and of unsound teaching. They were too busy pointing out the flaws and suspicious things in others and forgot about loving people first. John is saying that in a quest for the perfect church, the church in Ephesus forgot what being the body of Christ was all about. The consequences to forgetting what your faith is all about is, are very dire. John writes in the very next verse, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, God's Spirit will no longer reside in the church. God will remove His light from the church. Or maybe it's that if we forget our first love, we remove that lampstand ourselves and God just allows it to happen because we've made that choice. We have this positive statement of good for the church that happens. I've heard, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard in the business world of something called a, a, a positive, negative, positive sandwich. <laughs> uh, I was in a, a, a uh, time of reflection on my work at one point, uh, not as a pastor, but as a business person. And I was called into the office and they said, hey, well, Joseph, you've done such and such very well. These are some improvements you need. And then at the end, they said, well, these are some things you need to hear that you've done well again. So you are left on a good note, but they do want you to focus on the center. So uh, the, that middle part where you need to improve on some things. And this church had forgotten its first love. And it's very important to understand when you forget God's love and forget God's love toward others that you forget who you really are in your faith. But then there's this other part where it says you have you have this these other things that you have done well. In verse 6 it says you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Well, I asked the question, you know, when I first read this, what the Nicolaitans was all about. Nicolaitans is... Uh, you know, you find if you look in Acts chapter six, verse five, it was a he was a native of Antioch and a, a convert to uh, Judaism and a follower of the ways of Christ. And when the church was still con confined to Jerusalem, he was chosen by the whole multitude of disciples and became one of the first seven deacons. And he was ordained by the apostles in AD thirty three. It has been questioned whether Nicholas was connected to the Nicolaitans uh, mentioned in Revelation. If so, how closely? Uh, Nicolaitans themselves, at least as early as the time of, of Irenaeus, claimed him as their father. Irenaeus is one of our church fathers in the early church. So the theory is that the Nicolaitans were followers of Nicholas, who were one of the seven of first order ordained to, uh, to be kind of deacons or apostles. 
There's another theory too that they that these Nicolaitans could have been people who were also uh, Judaizers. They wanted people to do more and more. It was law and the gospel. It wasn't just the gospel. Uh, you had to do a whole bunch of other stuff to be a Christian. And then a theory too. Another theory could come uh, where Nicol- the Nicolaitans were also. Um, uh, kind of, it was not really talking about those that followed Nicholas, but all, but those that actually, um, if you look at the connection, it could be connected with a another word in the Old Testament. Uh, the the word in the Old Testament would be Balaamites. Now, Balaamites uh, may not ring a bell, but if you actually look in uh, Numbers, you will see that there's a guy named Balaam. Uh, Balaam was hard headed. He was focused in one direction. He's actually at first hired by the king, his king, uh, to go and curse the Jews. And so uh, Balaam went out to curse the Jews and was on the road, and he was on his donkey. And uh, Balaam was not paying attention, but the angel of the Lord was in front of him and wanted to kill him. But the donkey moved and kept him from dying. Well, Balaam didn't like the fact that the donkey got off the path. And so he got off the donkey and he beat the donkey. You know, poor donkey, goodness he was trying to save him, but got caught in the middle of everything. And then he did it again. The donkey ran him into a rock and hurt him. And so Balaam got off and beat you know, beat the donkey. And then finally the donkey started speaking. <laughs> you know, Balaam's so hard-headed, God asked the donkey to speak to him. And he said, why are you out to do what you're about to do? I'm going to kill you, this angel that's in front of you. And all of a sudden Balaam sees the angel. I'm going to kill you. You know, God tells him, you know, why, um, I'm going to kill you. And this should have been listening to your donkey. And you hadn't. <laughs> and so this donkey uh, leads him to know that God is in control. And you know, Balaam finally listens after all his hard-headedness and, his, and not being able to see the bigger picture around him of what God was really trying to do. And he ends up, instead of cursing God's people, he ends up blessing God's people <laughs> uh, despite the, um, the anger of the other king. Um, the story shares, though, um, this connection with Balaam and how hard-headed he was. And the Nicolaitans, if they were anything of how they've been described in the early part of the church, they were hard-headed. Uh, and they had forgotten who they really were. They forgot uh, who they were supposed to be. They forgot their first love. It makes kind of sense. It makes a lot of sense if you realize that you don't know your true purpose. You don't know what you're really supposed to do. And it's going to take a lot to convince you otherwise. So the Nicolaitans could have been them. And the practices, however, we know are not good. So the church is commended in not practicing and calling them wicked and turning away from them. So then it goes on to say that whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, listen to what this Holy Spirit says. Listen to the angel who is receiving this. Listen to the messenger. And it says, the one who is victorious, I give the right to eat from the tree of life. Well, see, the tree of life, uh, well, first off, the conquerors were those who were victorious, were people who endured and suffered for Christ. Uh, They were martyrs. They were the ones that did not waver in their faith. They kept their faith and loved God through their lives, even until the end. If you remember, they were being persecuted. People all around were being persecuted by by the Roman government. Uh, They were being persecuted by uh, people in in many different ways. Uh, People were... They were in arenas being ripped apart by wild animals. They were being burned at the stake. Uh, Nero was known to have lit the the roads with 
heads of Christians. Uh, it was not a pleasant place to be in. They were suffering all around, and it says right here that those who are victorious, those that endure, uh, are conquerors. They conquer death. And not only do they conquer death, they conquer death because God gives them the ability to eat from the tree of life. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, the tree of life is connected with the Garden of Eden. It is thought to be a part of that source of long life for Adam and Eve. And when they left the garden, they left this tree of life and they left eternity behind them because God would not allow them to come back. They chose wisdom and they chose the tree of good of wisdom and truth over, um, or they chose the tree of knowledge and wisdom over uh, over the tree of life, and so they they left and they they lost their eternal life. And what it's saying here is that the conquerors are going to be given the ability to eat from that tree again. In other words, you're going to be as a conqueror of Christ. You're going to be given eternal life. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that we are given eternal life as faithful people in Christ. In other words, John writes to them to say, "Repent from the ways that you know, so that you may be." victorious in your faith and stand with the one who loved you first so that you remember this first love that you had so that you may be able to receive eternal life that same eternal life that's given each and to us each and every day this tree that that gives us goodness from god that that comes from the rivers and that flows from the river of god their reward for remembering their first love and living out their faith is eternal life that's why it's so important for us not to forget our faith. That's why it's so important for John to remind us and to remind the church in Ephesus at the time to not forget who they really were, not get caught up in all the details, not get caught up in the witch hunt, not get caught up in if someone's doing this right or this not right. I mean, we should definitely hold our leaders accountable. We should definitely hold a people, people accountable for things that they should be doing in the name of Christ or not doing because of Christ. However, we should also not have that be the focus of our entire faith. Sometimes good things turn bad if we focus on them instead of what's really important, the main, keeping the main thing the main thing. <laughs> and uh, so I, as I close this out, I want to just remind you uh, that God loves you and that your first love is that God loves you. He loved you first. And he asks you to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that first love. Don't forget in the middle of life that God loves you and that he asks you to love him and love others the way he loves you. God bless. Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.